HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. My name is Sarah Kim, and I'm from Austin, Texas. I'm a Cheeselandian because while life is great, cheese makes it better. Go to Cheeselandia.com to learn more, and if it's for you, sign up. It's time for lunch. Welcome to Time for Lunch. This is a place to learn about eating, cooking, enjoying, and sometimes playing with your food. Each episode, we cover a new subject. I'm Hannah Forden. And I'm Harry Rosenblum. Tune in for food, fun, and flavor. We have a special guest here for lunch today, and it's up to you to guess who they are and what the theme of today's episode is. Are you ready? Yes. What shape are you? I'm usually very small and sort of white. Okay, are you grown or made? Hmm, neither. I come from the clouds. I'm made of water. Huh, and what time of year do you show up? I can appear any time of year, it just has to be cold. And what do people do with you? People can make houses from me or play with me. They can slide along on top of me. Oh, I'm pretty sure I know what you are. Are you snow? You got it. Oh, I love snow. Snow is so many things. It's peaceful. It's beautiful. It's magical. It's fun. And it provides necessary water for our plants in the winter. That's right. I love how quiet it is in the fresh snow. It's like the world is asleep. When you first go outside after it's snowed or while it's snowing, it just feels like everything is like on pause. I remember a few years ago, we had a huge snowstorm when I was living in New York, and I had to carry Frank to school in a big hiking backpack because he was too small to walk through all that snow. Yes, I love snow so much. And even as a pretty big, tall grown-up, the snow this year already has gotten deep enough that it's hard to walk through. We had a little bit of snow this week, and I got up early in the morning after the snowstorm, and I was lucky to be the very first human to walk through the snow and up my driveway. So because no other people or cars had gone through, I was able to find some animal tracks and I traced where a couple of deer came out of the woods, where they headed to the lake to get a drink of water. And I also found some coyote footprints, which was really exciting. 
something I'm learning is that you can put together a whole story in your head of what animals must have been up to based on where their feet traveled. That is so cool. I love that you were able to see where the animals went when normally they might have walked across the lawn and you wouldn't have any idea. Exactly. I can even see that the coyote kind of came out to our house, did a little sniffing around and then turned around. <laughs> what does a superhero put in his drinks? Just ice, like justice. Get it? Why don't mountains catch colds? Because they were ice cap. Now it's time for our question of the day. The answer to this question is somewhere in the episode, so listen carefully. How many photographs of snowflakes did Wilson Bentley take? Keep an ear out for the answer. We listen to a lot of other podcasts at my house, and one that we've gotten into lately is called New England Legends. It's a really great podcast, so you should definitely check it out. It's all about different legends all over New England, and they travel all over to find out about them. They recently did an episode about Wilson Bentley, who proved that no two snowflakes are alike and was the first person to document the details in individual snowflakes. My name is Jeff Belanger, and I'm an author and the host of the New England Legends podcast. Jeff has visited Jericho, Vermont, in what's known as the Snow Belt, where they get a lot of snow, averaging about eight feet a year. It was there that Wilson Bentley was born in 1865. Growing up, he just had a natural love for the environment around him. He loved spider webs and leaves and butterflies. And he even kept a daily journal of weather conditions. So he was kind of like a natural observer right from the get-go. Something big happened to Wilson Bentley. On his 15th birthday, he got an amazing gift. He got a microscope. And suddenly this whole new tiny world opened up to this young boy. And he was so curious about everything around him. He was looking at spider webs and leaves and anything he could put under his microscope. But then he thought of something else as he watched the snow falling outside of his window. He said, wow, I wonder if I could see a snowflake. And that's not easy to do. I mean, it's super easy to catch a falling snowflake. We've done it on our tongues. We've done it on our hands. But the second it hits our skin, it melts. It melts almost instantly. So he had to find some way to catch a snowflake so it wouldn't melt and then keep it together long enough to get it underneath his microscope so he could take a good look at it. And so what he figured out was that a bird feather, uh, would, if it was left outside, would get cold. And if a, a snowflake landed on the feather, it would stay put. So he had this black feather and he would catch a snowflake and through a lot of trial and error, he'd get it onto his microscope. You have to remember, he couldn't even breathe on it because your breath would melt the snowflake. But finally, he gets it on the microscope just right. He looks through the lens, and he's just dumbfounded at this incredible work of art before him. This, this crystal looks so intricate, so amazing. So he draws it as fast as he can, but he knows his hand can't do this any justice. And after storm after storm, he just keeps looking at these snowflakes. He's amazed by them. When Wilson Bentley is 20 years old, he gets a camera. And he already has ideas. He knows my hand can't draw these snowflakes anywhere near as good as a photo. How can I get my camera connected to my microscope so I can start photographing these incredible works of art? 
he said, Wilson Bentley said this, I'm quoting him, every crystal was a masterpiece of design and no one design was ever repeated. When a snowflake melted, that design was lost forever. And that bothered him. How could I make these things immortal in some way? And so with a lot of tinkering, he was able to connect his camera to the microscope and then capture those snowflakes, get them just right under the lens, and then take a picture. Now, today, when we click a picture with a camera, it's just click, and you have the photo. Back then, he had to leave the camera shutter open for 90 seconds, a minute and a half, with nothing moving at all. It had to be just right and perfect because there was so little light coming through that lens that it needed a long time to burn onto the, the plates and the film that he had back then. So 90 seconds, and then boom, he captured his first snowflake. A masterpiece of art right out of the sky, and he just got the bug to keep doing it. And then he took more pictures, picture after picture, and it became his life's work. He took 5,000 pictures by the time uh, he was 66 years old. And so he was sharing them with popular magazines and newspapers and scientific journals. And eventually he put out a book that had 2,300 of his pictures in it, and the book is called Snow Crystals. Think about any snowstorm you've ever been in. Just billions and billions of little ice crystals are falling from the sky, and no two of them are exactly alike. That's really amazing. And he set out to just capture as many of those photos as he could to show, hey, look, you can't of these 5,000 photos, no two of them are exactly alike. We're going to take a quick break and hear more about our favorite weather phenomenon, snow. My name is Sarah Kim, and I'm from Austin, Texas. I'm a Cheeselandian because while life is great, cheese makes it better. Wisconsin cheese has proven time and time again to be a delicious expression of craft, hard work, and tradition. As a Cheeselandian, I am able to share a Gouda experience with fellow cheese and food lovers nationwide, as well as connect with cheese producers and cheesemongers, taking my love of cheese to another level. I invite you to join Cheeselandia because during these difficult times, it has been even more important to take it easy and get cheesy. The Cheeselandia community and events have been the glue helping to keep us together and connected. And I would love it if you would join me. And let's face it, if you hear the word cheese and get a little hungry, then you've found a place you can call home. To find out more about Cheeselandia, go to cheeselandia.com. Welcome back. Hannah, if you haven't already, you should check out some of the photos that Wilson Bentley took of snowflakes. They are incredible. They're so beautiful and so intricate. You know, I was lucky enough to read a book about Wilson Bentley when I was in elementary school, and the images of his snowflakes are sort of burned into my memory. They were amazing. I can't wait to go outside and catch some snowflakes to look at. Harry, you know how when it's about to snow and you're outside, there's this smell. Yes, it smells kind of like, well, snow. Jeff told me something really interesting about that, too. Those of us that grow up in northern climates, when you go outside and the sky's gray and the temperature's falling, we know it when we smell it. We can just sniff in the air and say, man, it smells like snow. And it turns out the reason for that is because as the temperature drops, there has to be humidity in the air. It has to be a little bit moist or wet. If it's too dry, it's, there's not going to be any snow. So a little bit of humidity and that dropping temperature actually tingles your nose, makes it cold because it's an extremity, and it stimulates a nerve in your brain. And also the air molecules that are always moving around, there's all kinds of things in the air all the time, 
they slow down. So smells are actually not as strong. So what you're smelling and you say, oh, that's snow, is actually, it turns out, to be kind of a lack of smell that warns you, and it's in your brain. It's, it's deep-seated in there to say, hey, uh, be careful, there's snow coming, because there was a time, if you don't have a house nearby that's a nice warm home you can go into, if you're out there in the woods and snow's coming, I mean, that could be, that could be disaster if you don't have some protection. Well, with the snow on its way, it's time for a dance break. Snow is actually translucent, not white. It's the different colors reflected off of each snowflake that make it appear white. Huh. Did you know that the most snow to fall in 24 hours was 75.8 inches? That's more than six feet. That would be over my head. Mine too. We would be lost in that snow. (laughs) Igloos are super efficient and are heated by the body heat of their inhabitants. They can be up to 100 degrees warmer than the outside environment. The largest snowball fight recorded in history took place in Seattle with 5,834 participants. Snow can actually affect sound. Fresh snow can absorb sound waves, making everything sound a little quieter, where ice, on the other hand, reflects sound and makes things sound sharp and loud. Scientists believe that Mars has occasional snowstorms in the winter. Some of the hottest places on Earth have actually seen snow. Most recently, Death Valley in the United States and the Sahara Desert both had snow in 2008 and 2016, respectively. Now, instead of a traditional recipe this week, I have a story for you. First things first, I want to say... I don't recommend eating snow. You don't really have any way of knowing if it's clean or safe to eat, even though it might seem pristine. However, when I was a kid, I did like to eat snow. And I was careful to only ever eat nibbles from piles of snow that were purely white. Never eat yellow snow, because you know what? It's not going to taste like lemonade, if you get my meaning. Some of our listeners might identify with the obsession I had with my babysitter when I was around six years old. She was a teenager and the coolest person on the whole earth as far as I was concerned. She knew how to make the best popcorn, taught me how to make beaded necklaces, and she and I would sometimes make a snowy treat together. Back when I was little, my babysitter and I would take a bottle of maple syrup out into the clean snow and drizzle about a spoonful of syrup into a clean patch of snow. The maple syrup crystallized quickly and we could scoop up a perfect little frozen maple candy and munch it down right there and then. I know that sounds tempting, but I really don't recommend eating snow. It can be a little risky. It's something you can discuss with your favorite grown-up before going out and trying for yourself. 
Hannah, we have a special segment today from our friends at the Whenever Wherever Kids podcast. They're a member of Kids Listen, just like we are here at Time for Lunch, and they shared a snippet of their holiday episode with us. So listeners, stay tuned. At the end of the episode, you'll get to hear their snippet. It's that time in the show before we wrap up where we talk a little bit about what brought light into our lives in the past week. And of course, we are here to celebrate the end of 2020 and the beginning of 2021. I know that I'm really excited to welcome 2021 and see what it has in store for us. 2020 was a tricky year, but I have to say we launched the show in 2020. So it's always going to have a very special place in my heart, despite everything else that happened. (laughs) I had a really delicious New Year's celebration. Um, I had some really tasty treats shared by family and friends from near and far. Even though we couldn't visit with everyone, I got some treats sent my way and um, was able to have a delicious New Year's Day cheese souffle with my mom, which was a very special treat. How about you, Harry? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Hannah. Yeah, I'm also thankful that 2020 is over. And there have been some great things about it. Like, as you mentioned, starting this show, I'm excited for the new things and possibilities of 2021. For me, for New Year's, I started a new tradition this year by jumping in the ocean on New Year's Day. And it was really cold. But it was super fun, and I definitely encourage anyone who's anywhere near water, it's a great way to sort of start the year and feel refreshed and invigorated. At the beginning of the episode, we asked, How many photographs of snowflakes did Wilson Bentley take? And the answer is... He took 5,000 pictures by the time uh, he was 66 years old. Thanks for listening to Time for Lunch today. We'll be back next week with more tasty stories. The show is written, produced, edited, and hosted by Harry Rosenblum and Hannah Forden, with engineering by Liam Warner. Emily Kunkel is our associate producer. Music in this episode was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder, and our fun facts theme was created by our very own Liam Warner. Special thanks this week to Jeff Belanger and the New England Legends podcast. Check it out wherever you get your podcasts or online at ournewenglandlegends.com. Time for Lunch is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. Time for Lunch is also a part of Kids Listen, the number one app for finding great podcasts for kids of all ages. You can learn more at kidslisten.org, and you can download the app from the iTunes or Google Play Store. Time for Lunch is powered by Simplecast. And please stay in touch. Whether you have a joke you'd like to share or you'd just like to tell us what you had for lunch, we love to hear from our listeners. Please send us your recipes, poems, book, or podcast recommendations, or anything else you think we'd like. It's super easy to record yourself using the Voice Memo app on an iPhone, or you can just send a video. Ask a grown-up to help you email us at timeforlunchpodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to include your name, age, and address so we can send you a little something in return. Time for Lunch is supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with City Council. Thanks for listening.
Daisy sipped her imaginary tea and sighed. It was going to be a very long imagentia. Of course, that was no surprise, because imaginary friends were often left out during the holiday times because of the traditions that take place or the new toys that have been received during the holiday time. Last time, while Cece's human friend, Luco, was celebrating his winter holiday, Christmas, Cece had celebrated Imagentia with Luca's cousin's imaginary friend, Baxin. Sadly, Baxin had not come this year to celebrate, so Cece was alone. Cece grabbed a carrot off her tea set plate and nibbled on, wishing she had a friend to celebrate Imagentia with. If only I could imagine myself a friend! That would make this the greatest Imagentia of all! Cece thought to herself as she bit down on her huge orange carrot. Then, Cece had an idea. Though, she knew she couldn't imagine herself a friend, because that wasn't something just anyone would be able to do. She could call Baxin. It would be so fun. Cece sat down on the ground, crisscross applesauce style, and smoothed out her perfectly pink dress. She then snapped and a mirror appeared in front of her. Cece quickly smoothed out her white hair and smiled. Her bunny ears were perking up just thinking of all the amazingly fun things she and Baxton could talk about. Then, Cece put away the mirror and tapped the floor five times, which strangely caused the column a swirly green smoke to form. I'm not an expert, but I don't think this is what's supposed to happen when you call someone, Cece said, suddenly feeling a little frightened that she had done something wrong. Before Cece could even think about trying to stop the strange smoke, it pulled her inside and everything went black. Hello? Hello? Are you alright? Cece opened her eyes to see a little pug before her with big, sparkling eyes. Ah! Cece screamed. She had never been more terrified in her life. How had she ended up with this tiny little dog? Ow! That's very loud! Did you know that screaming can be performed by almost any creature with lungs? Not everyone will know it's a scream because of the many different tones and pitches screams occur in, but scientifically, all species with lungs should be able to scream. The pug said in a strange voice. Cece stopped screaming and looked at him. What? Cece said, utterly confused. Why was this dog saying a random fact about screams? Oh, sorry. Was that way too much of a complicated way to say it to you? I don't know how old you are, so I wasn't so sure of the best way to phrase it. I'm sorry. I'm Fido, by the way. Cece shook her head. I'm Cece, and I understand what you said perfectly fine. I was just confused because I didn't know why you said it. It was very random. Well, obviously you haven't heard of me before. As I said before, I am Fido. I say fun facts so kids can know the many fun and amazing things about the world that they may not have known or heard before. Also, you were screaming, and I said a fun fact about screaming. That's not very random to me. Cece pondered upon that for a minute, then shrugged. I guess you're right. It wasn't that random. So, whose imaginary friend are you? Cece asked, confused. She had never met an imaginary friend quite like Fido before. I'm not an imaginary friend. I'm a Storyverse character, thank you very much. I was just about to head home when I saw you fall from the sky like a meteorite. You're very lucky you didn't get hurt, by the way. At the rate at which you were going, it could have been a very fatal landing. How did it happen, anyway? Cece smiled. Don't worry, imaginary friends can't get hurt. Or at least, not permanently. I was trying to call a friend of mine, but then the smoke appeared, and well, somehow I ended up here. Which I'm not too happy about, because now I have no way to get home, and no one to celebrate with Imagentia with. Cece said, pouting. Hey, no pouting. Cece, it's alright. 
I'm sure you can just use a homing beacon to transport yourself back to wherever you came from. And I'm not really doing anything if you want. We could celebrate Imaginatia together. Seriously? This is so great. I'd love to. Thank you so much. Caesar replied, hugging the dog. Fido was very fun company during Magentia. Cece played games with him, and he told her many cool facts. Cece even summoned a yummy carrot cake that they shared. The holiday had gone from Cece's most bleakest to one of her best. At the end, Cece did learn how to use her homing beacon that Fido had mentioned to go home, but not before she made plans with Fido to spend the next Imagentia together, so she would never have to spend the holiday alone again.